morning, everybody. Uh, we're back in the Word today. Grab your Bible. If you don't have it, find it, pick it up, get it in front of you. You can look on your phone, but uh, personally, I love the Word in page format. So however you want to do it, I'm, I can't see you, so you do whatever you want. But uh, grab your Bible and turn to Genesis. Uh, we're going to jump back in the Word. Again, I say this every week. I'm going to continue to say it. You will always hear me say it. This is not church online or any of that kind of thing. This is just me sharing the word and kind of digging in there in a way to present it to you so we can talk about it tonight as a church when we gather. So if you're in Tempe area, we would love for you to come East Valley, wherever. I, actually, you know, I say it all the time, but I don't care where you come from. Come anywhere you want. But particularly if this is your community, we are a community church. We would love to have you as a community come be part of what we're doing. And uh, so the information will be up there where you can see it. I dropped my glasses here. But the information will be up there where you can see it, and you know how to get in touch with us. We'll tell you how to find us, um, and we'd love for you to come hang out. It should be a good discussion this week. We've got a great group. Have uh, food to munch on and just hang out and talk. And being Halloween weekend, it's just been a kind of festive time. So uh, we've really done a lot this weekend as a church. And, and so anyway, we want you to come. Come hang out. Come tell us what you think of this text. It's God's Word, but we want to know together what God has to say. So that's tonight. Anyway, we're going to jump in. And uh, again, when you come, we want you to understand that there, there are principles that we stand on as a church, so we expect that when you come, you're going to feel loved unconditionally, that you're going to feel uh, that sense of no matter who you are or where you're from or what you're dealing with, that you're loved, first of all, but you're also going to hear uncompromised truth. We're going to lay into the Word of God together, and we're all going to learn what God has to say, not what Dave has to say, all right? And then we're going to recognize a mission. I hope that happens every week, that you recognize that we're unified around one mission, and that's making disciples. Why? Because Christ challenged us with that responsibility. But point being, it's our responsibility as a church, our responsibility. So I want you to come and understand, if you don't know, what that means for you. Do you know if it's, if it's supposed to be your responsibility as well, not just the church as a whole, but you as an individual part of it? If it's supposed to be your responsibility to make disciples, do you know how to do that? Do you know what that means? Can you say, yes, I know what a disciple is, and yes, this is how I personally am making them, if Christ were to ask you. So we want you to be part of a church that makes disciples, that can tell you what that means and help you become a disciple that does that. So anyway, let's get back into the Word. We're talking about, is God among us, okay? Is God among us? And today we're going to look at when we sin. Is God among us? Now we don't mean is God one of us? Like is God, you know, the dude walking down the street, or is he the girl on the subway? That's not what we're saying. We're we're saying we're not saying either that all things are God. What we're saying is that God is among us. Yet He is distinct. He is holy. He is still unique. He is still separate. And we're looking at biblical moments where that literally happened. So that we can kind of see, well, what does that mean for us in 2020? And what a year to be thinking about it, right? So our theme verse, uh, Revelation 21.3, we'll be looking at this every uh, week. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be with, uh, excuse me, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. 
But today, since we talked about that one, Revelation 21, today we're going to jump the entire other direction and talk about Genesis. So we're going to go all the way back to the beginning, Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to read only one verse, although we'll look at several uh, around it, but one verse. Uh, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. All right, let me pray for us. Lord, I love you. I thank you for your word. God, it is so amazing. I thank you for blessing us with it. Lord Jesus, I thank you for saving my life. A filthy sinner, Lord, and I know it. Even today, still wrestling with sin, and still you love me, still your grace covers. Lord, I pray for those today that don't know you, that today, above anything else they hear, they would hear from your word that you are a God who loves them even while they're a sinner. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of having your word, holding your word, proclaiming your word, teaching your word, not just me as a, quote, preacher, but all of us as believers. Let us honor you with it. I mean that, and I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Put my glasses down. So, it's Halloween weekend. Hope you had a good one. Um, but uh, I was thinking about it as I was preparing today, and I remember when I was a kid, actually saw a movie on I hadn't seen since I was just a little bitty kid called The Skull, old 60s movie, horror movie that creeped me out when I was a kid. Anyway, it just brought back all these memories of old horror movies and times when I was a kid. And maybe you remember that time where you had a nightmare, woke up in the middle of the night, the thunder is shaking the walls, and maybe there's lightning streaking across the sky, and there's it's dark, so dark, no no stars are visible or whatever, and you're afraid to even go back to sleep. I remember watching a movie I was told not to watch with a bunch of friends when I was a kid called Don't Go to Sleep. I still remember the name, and sure enough, that's exactly what happened. I didn't want to go to sleep. Uh, but you add in all those other things with the thunder and the lightning and all, all of that, and terror starts to take hold of you. And what do you do? I'll tell you what you do. You muster up courage. You psych yourself up as much as you possibly can. And then you make a mad break for your parents' room. Race down the hall, bust through the door, and jump on the bed, you know. But what if your parents' room's locked? What if your room is locked? What if every, every door down the hallway is locked? What if you guys are all separated whether you got mom, dad, grandma, whoever it is, what if you're completely separated by locked doors and an eternally long hallway, you know? You can't reach them, they can't reach you. Many believe and preach that this pictures God, man, and sin, okay? I've heard it all my life, I still hear it today, and the truth is sin does cause separation for us, but it doesn't limit God. It doesn't limit God, nor has it prevented him from reaching us. Some, some very familiar verses in the Bible, you hear me say them all the time, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans says. God sent his son in John 3.16, while, while the world was already condemned, verse 17 says. Or you go to one of the greatest in Corinthians where he says, he became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. He, Christ, became sin. So sin has no hold on him, though. Let's not mistake that. Sin has no hold on him. It can't. So obviously it can't restrict him. 
in any way, not even in death, because he rose from the grave. 1 Corinthians 15, 3, dimes that out perfectly. So, look, here's the point. Though we may sin and we may be afraid at times, we can always find his door unlocked. Okay, his door's always unlocked. His arms are always open as a father who loves his child. All right? Now, it matters, however, of course, that you are actually in the house. All right? If not, then sin's placed you in another house with another father um, who lies, steals, kills, destroys, and any attempt, any attempt to create a paradise within that home is always going to feel empty. The storms are always going to be frightening because there's no hope and nowhere to run to. So today it's back to Eden. You already heard me say it's back to Eden. Moses records in Genesis that there's a clear relationship between God and man visibly and perhaps physically. We'll argue that in a second. That the in that relationship is not completely cut off by sin. Not completely. Hold on, I'll explain. But it's not completely cut off. And too often we forget. Look, we're saved by grace alone, right? We're saved by grace alone, and that even in our sin, God still pursued a relationship with us, and that should be an encouragement to us, especially when we feel far from Him because of the sin that we're struggling with even now. Does that make sense? You understand what I'm saying? So the fact is here, He is among us even when we sin. All right, and today we're looking at this very practically, and we're keeping in mind that when we struggle with sin in our own lives, number one, paradise doesn't prevent sin, okay? Uh, number two, God's presence is not restricted by sin, and number three, sin doesn't produce paradise, okay? All three of those standalone statements say a mouthful, so we're going to look at them. Let's take the first one. Paradise doesn't prevent sin. Second, uh, excuse me, uh, Genesis 2, verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. Eden means paradise, basically, in Hebrew. And it was in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Now, for the record here, I'm not trying to go over all of creation and the days of creation and, and, and mankind, womankind, all that. I'm focusing on, you know, a very specific topic here. Is God among us when we sin? So if you feel like, well, you didn't address this, or you didn't, I'm not trying to, you know, systematically through Genesis here. This is what we're focusing on. So in any event, paradise doesn't prevent sin. And here we have God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he formed. So I start there because I want to establish something here. What's paradise? Eden, paradise. What is paradise? Well, we could define it in a lot of ways since for us it equals heaven. Okay, that's what we think of as heaven. So we could define it in a lot of ways. Hey, it's a palace, man. I got my golden house. My palace in heaven. I grew up hearing that all my life when I was younger anyway. Riches. You know, I'm going to be loaded. I'm going to be rich and heavy in heaven. Wealthy, you know, in paradise. Gold streets. Paved streets of gold in paradise, right? Anything you desire. Hey, I'm, I'm not going to be nothing I don't want that I can't have in, in paradise. Prayers. Every one of them answered, whatever they are. Uh, dreams, whatever my dreams are, I'm going to have them. It's paradise, right? Shouldn't I? It's paradise, right? Hey, all the sex you want. <laughs> you know, it's paradise, right? I get my virgins, as some teach. You know, I'm going to have my virgins, and it's going to be paradise, right? No pain, 
all my family and friends are going to be there. Is that, are those things that define what paradise is? In Eden, back here what we just looked at, paradise was paradise because it was created by God and man was made with a purpose and placed there. It was, it was created by God and man was put there intentionally by his creator. So if you ask me what paradise is, it's this. If you ask me what paradise is, paradise was man with purpose and value, okay, together with his creator in a place that was perfectly designed for them by the one who created him, man, who created man. You understand what I just said? I'm going to say it again. Paradise was man with, a, with purpose and value together with his creator, okay, in a place perfectly designed for them by the one who created him, all right? That If we look at paradise in biblical standards, that's what it was. Paradise was a relationship. It was a relationship between God and man. It was a very present and specific God and creator that was there. It was in a place that was designed by him. All right? And it involved serving. It involved work. Go back and look at it. it there was work. Adam was given a task. He wasn't just floating around on clouds. It was complete dependence on God for all things and never having want for anything. You understand that? All right. So if we define paradise by including God's design and presence, then a paradise, okay, a paradise, just as a location with wealth and happiness and without suffering, doesn't prevent sin. All right, and case in point, even here, look in chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 6. So when the, you know the story. You can go back and read the whole story if you want. I, I'm assuming you know some of this, so I'm pulling from the pieces here. Uh, God told them not to eat the tree. They did. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, notice everything there is visual. She sees it. She determines it's good based on what she sees. It's delightful. It's enticing. Uh, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise. So it's magical. It can give me what I want. It's desirable for that. She took of the fruit, ate, and she also gave some of her fruit, some, uh, excuse me, some to her husband who was with her. Don't miss that. He's right there. And he ate. Look at that. She took, she ate, she gave, he ate. That's the picture of the power of sin to spread. It never only hurts you. I'm just telling you, even in the beginning when there were only two on the whole planet, it never only hurts you. Never. Look at verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew they were naked. Basically shame. And, you know, don't look at me. I'm embarrassed. It's because of the sin in actuality. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. This is an attempt to cover their shame. To hide, to run, to lie. Isn't that what we still do today? We sin, we get embarrassed about it, and we try to cover it up with whatever we can possibly do. Lies are probably the first choice that we make when we try to cover sin. 
And it's important to remember this because so many people try today to redefine paradise around lust and pleasure. If it feels good, do it. What's best for you should be make everybody happy. We should all be pleasing our body. Humanism, self-satisfaction, that's the key to paradise, right? Or, or total denial of pleasures. The key to paradise is no excess. Just remain even. Deny yourself all pleasure and stuff. Uh, some say that we create an environment where uh, there's no religion and no faith or no anything, and, and, and then we'll have a paradise. You know what? The fact is, trying to create a paradise will never stop sin. Trying to create a paradise will never stop sin. Making an all-pleasing environment, all-satisfactory satisfactory environment, or seeking complete self-righteousness through complete abstinence. Either way, it's not going to solve the issue. It's not going to solve the issue. It happened when there were only two people on the planet. They were married to each other, fully committed to each other, and they were without suffering. They were without need in the paradise of God, and they still embraced sin. You're not going to create one where suddenly sin is not a problem for you. It's not going to happen. The only solution to sin, since it is God who was sinned against, the only solution is that God himself would accept the penalty for our failure. That's it. And that's the cross. Complete love and complete justice in the same moment. The one sinned against becomes the one who accepts the punishment for that sin. By trusting in his actions over our actions, we can have certainty that we're forgiven. That's the promise of the gospel. We're filled with his Holy Spirit and not fear. You know what I'm saying? We're covered with his blood, not with fig leaves. And the day's going to come when sin will be removed by his Holy Spirit. All right? His Holy Spirit within us will make us complete, complete, and without sin, and then unable, unable to become a victim of it again. But, again, today, our focus is on, is God among us? And so, you know, paradise doesn't prevent sin, okay? But God's presence is not restricted by sin. God's presence is not restricted by sin. Look at verse 8, Genesis chapter 3. And they heard the sound, notice these words, of the Lord walking, all right, in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now I'm highlighting all those words for a reason. Tell me what you see here. Close your eyes if you need to. Imagine, what's the, what do you picture? You picture wind blowing and there's God. Do you picture a booming voice, and that's God? Do you picture a ghost? Do you picture a talking head with no body that's floating? That's God? Presence, walking, sound of walking, which would be, in our language, footsteps on the morning dew, which is what the cool of the day means. Hiding, meaning there was something visible to hide from in the trees, a physical object that you think is going to block you from something you see. In this case, God coming. Guys, he was there. 
Now, I'm sure there's a million arguments over this, and I'm not going to argue any of it because I'm just telling you, just read what it says. I know that's English. I know it's written in Hebrew, but we don't have to twist the words to remove the idea that God was there. He was there. Why wouldn't he be there? Of course he was there. He was among them. What did he look like? Did he have blonde hair, black hair? Was he black? Was he white? Was he brown? Was he Jew? Was he Gentile? Was he whatever? None of that matters. Just take that all out of your head. Was he tall? Was he short? Was he what? I don't know. I don't know. But there was a physical presence that they recognized as him. Okay? As him. Look at verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? You think God didn't know that? You think God didn't know that? One of my favorite chapters in the Bible, I've referenced it several times, Psalm 139. David wrote this. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me, past tense. You know, present tense, when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You know what I'm thinking, even from heaven. You search out my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, behold O oh Lord, you know it altogether. What a profound statement that is, right? You hem me in. Behind and before, you lay your hand upon me. Basically, you cut me into your hands. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I can't attain it. He's like, this is blowing my mind. All right, verse 7. Where do I go from your spirit? Where do I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, guess what? You're there. Well, that one's easy, but look at the next one. If I make my bed in Sheol or the grave or the place of the dead, you are what? There. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, basically that means if, if I travel across the ocean at the speed of the breaking sunset at dawn, even there your hand leads me so you're still in front of me. You're still moving ahead of me, even if I could travel that fast, and your right hand holds me. Man, what a statement. And David made that statement as a sinner. I'm not saying David was in some deep sin in that moment, but I'm saying he was still a sinner. He still sinned all the way to his death. So at either case, when he made those statements, he was a sinner, but he's still saying that. I cannot even as a sinner escape from God. He's always present, and he is among us even when we sin. And so since God did know what Adam and Eve had done, even before he asked them, then God came to them even in their sin. Obviously, right? Sometimes we think our sin is so bad. and Maybe it's pretty bad, but sometimes we think it's so bad. And we try to hide from God. We try to hide it from God, and then we try to hide ourselves from God. And we think uh, we fully separated ourselves from him completely. Maybe you even hear that little voice in your ear that tells you he hates you now. He doesn't care about you now. You've done it now. You've, he, he has no time for you now. You've messed up too bad this time. Maybe you're hearing that. We think he doesn't care and he's never going to care. We think that if we do actually approach him, he's going to curse us or kill us even. But what's amazing about this is that he comes to us. He doesn't wait for us to be perfect enough to come to him. He comes to us. He didn't wait for Adam and Eve to wake up and say we screwed up. He came to them. He came to them. And we need to decide when he comes to us right then and there, we're going to trust him in that moment. 
We're going to trust him in that moment. Sin, sin as bad as it may be, we're going to trust him in that moment. I love the parable of the prodigal son. I'm not going to turn to it. You already know it. But the son has rehearsed his, I'm sorry, I'm a complete loser, I'm a horrible son speech to give to his dad when he gets home as he's going home, having wasted everything. But he never gets to say a word of it while he's still a long way off. His dad races out to meet him, scoops him up in his arms, and restores him. Now, however, as sinners, listen, it does matter how we respond when he does come to us. Repentance matters, okay? Uh, God asked where they were here, why they were hiding, what they had done. Knowing it already, he asked them all that. So he's given them the opportunity for what? Confession, right? Confession, look at verse 10. And he, Adam, said, I have heard the, or I heard the sound, there we go again, the sound, the noise made from your footsteps. I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. Or I, in this case, he was exposed. And he says, I hid myself. It's against the idea of shame. He's embarrassed. He's shamed. He's in shame. He's hiding. He's running. He's He's afraid. And that's just like today. It's what we do. I already said it. Look at verse 11. He said, God said, who told you you were naked? How'd you determine that? What made you believe naked is not only who you are, but bad? What made you feel like you need to be covered? That's what he's saying. All right. Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Again, did he not know the answer to that? Of course he knew the answer to that. He's asking for confession. And on top of that, there's a perfect definition of sin there. Have you done what I told you not to do? It's that simple. That is sin. Have you done what I told you not to do? The man said, the woman who you gave me, gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. I've asked this before, but who's he blaming here? Not the woman. He's blaming God. Look, the woman you gave me. Blaming God. How bold is Adam? He's blaming God. You, this is your fault, God. You gave her to me. Verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So both admit to the sin. I ate. They both say that. I ate. But they cast blame in the process. But their responses here show something pretty wild. That the God that they hid from was not some booming thunder or lightning or massive earthquakes. It was not that kind of God. It wasn't a voice in the wind. Uh, because, look, they were afraid, but they were also comfortable in their language with him. You see how they're talking to him? This woman you gave me? I mean, they're comfortable enough around the creator of all things to speak that way to him. To cast blame. Almost like somebody might do if a, if a human king came riding up on a horse and climbed off the horse. You might be a bit in awe and a little bit freaked out that it's a king. But, but you still feel comfortable enough to maybe even lie or twist things if you're arguing with them to save your neck. You know? Or you could even say a police officer that pulls you over. I mean, they're just so casual with him in their words. They've obviously been around him. Cain was the same way. Cain was the same way, obviously had a similar relationship with God as his parents did. Look in chapter 4 of Genesis. Uh, it says that this is after Cain had killed his brother. Then the Lord, in verse 9, the Lord said to Cain, 
Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Again, Cain smarting off to God. Just popping off. Like he, he obviously had some kind of relationship with God that was different than this booming sound from the heavens that you might have imagined it looked like. And you can go on and read. They have this whole conversation. And Cain is just really, honestly, a bit rude with God. Um, if you're married... Perhaps you remember what it was like when you were dating. Maybe, I don't know. You were probably careful with your words. You know, you were careful with your actions. You were respectful. You probably even apologized frequently for different things. Maybe you were really bold and you apologized for stuff that wasn't even your fault. (laughs) But sadly, after you get married, you tend to take for granted how special, how really special that it is that you have this one woman who's committed to be with you, or this one man who's committed to be with you. Apologies become less frequent or more harsh when they do come or with backward blame going out another way. Um, Excuses get more frequent. Lack of respect grows. How sad is it that we do the same thing with God? Same thing with God. The same God that pursued us as sinners. Right and invited us into a covenant relationship with him that he committed to us. We didn't commit to him first. He committed to us. And that's still even among us now. He's among us now, even when we sin. And yet we become less brokenhearted over our sins all the time. We talk with him less and less with a grateful heart, less and less with a respectful heart, Honestly, less and less with a loving heart. Sad. Look, all the money in the world, all the friends and family that you could possibly get together, any attempt at paradise that we create will never make us right with God. It's never going to make us right with God. It won't prevent us from sinning. And God's grace is that much more amazing in that he's not restricted. Okay, he's not restricted by our sin. And he comes to us and extends salvation by the greatest of sacrifices, his own son. Can we not pretend that he owes us? Can we not pretend that he owes us? Can we not attempt to hide Can we, listen, can we just be honest? How about we keep in mind the extent to which he loves us? And let that be mirrored in our love for him. Man. So we established that, you know, God was there with Adam and Eve, even after they sinned. So it's fair to say that, yes, God is among us even when we sin, right? But before we close it up, it's important to realize one other thing really quickly here. Uh, Paradise doesn't prevent sin. God's uh, presence is not restricted by sin. But sin doesn't produce paradise either. Satan promised uh, Eve here and Adam, because remember he was right there, that they'd be like God. That was the promise. Determining for themselves what was good and what was evil, what was right and what was wrong. In part, that, uh, that did happen. They made a decision for themselves. Contrary... 
to God. So in essence, calling themselves greater than God. I hear what you say, God, but I'm going to choose for myself, and therefore I will make myself above you as God. So in a sense, that did actually happen. But the whole truth is that no paradise, no paradise is ever produced by mankind's sin. In fact, the opposite happens. Look at verse 16 of chapter 3. To the woman, he said, I will surely, look at this, multiply your pain in childbirth. Multiplying pain. In pain, you bring children. Your desire, contrary to your husband, he shall rule over you. I'm just pointing out the, what, what came in here. I know there's a lot of detail in this. We already went through Genesis. If you want to go back, you can go back and find it and listen to it. Uh, pretty sure it's out there on podcast. Actually, I don't know if it is, if I put it up or not. But either way, you can hit me up. If you want it, I'll send it to you. <laughs> but in any event... We've already talked through this as a church, but the point I want you to see is multiplying your pain, in pain, contrary, rule over. And then to Adam in verse 17, cursed is the ground, in pain you eat of it. Verse 18, thorns and thistles it will bring forth. Verse 19, by the sweat of your face, uh, the end of there, to dust you will return. Verse 24, he drove out the man at the east of the, of the Garden of Eden. Those are... That's the product of man's paradise right there. These, but remember, they're not driven away from God completely, okay? Immediately afterwards, we are told of Cain and Abel who are bringing offerings to God and God's discussing Cain's offering with him and all that stuff. We've already seen that. Adam and Eve are not driven from God here. Get this straight. They're not driven from God here. They're driven from God's paradise. They're not driven from God. They're driven from the paradise of God into one that their sin created. Okay, they're driven from God's paradise into one that their sin created. Look, so many people today think, if we can just get everybody on board here, if everybody will just love each other, give peace a chance, man. If, if, if the person, if this person or that person will just get elected, It'll all be great. If the whole world will just be democratic or the whole world will just be socialist, if global warming would just stop, if we could just stop global warming, if people would just share food and feed the hungry so nobody was hungry anymore, if everybody had fresh water, fresh clean water so that so that nobody was for lack of that anymore, if all of the religions were just recognized that there really only one religion supposedly, uh, or maybe even if we just remove religion completely, then, then, we would truly have paradise. It's a lie. That is a lie. <laughs> that paradise, listen to me, as perfect as it could be, if all of those things I just described to you happened, that paradise, as perfect as it could be, would still end in death. It would still end in death because it doesn't solve the problem of death problem of death is tied to sin. So the problem to be solved is sin. Not global warming or hunger. Now I'm not hating those things, obviously. So we need to stop seeking a sinner's paradise. Okay? We need that sounds like a rap song. <laughs> but we need to stop seeking a sinner's paradise. We do. And we need to start preaching the hope of a king and a kingdom where creation is united with him. All right. The hope of a place without sin because he who knew no sin is king there. 
All right? Jesus is the only answer, guys. Jesus is the only answer. And he came to us, among us, a savior from sin when we were yet sinners. That's the gospel. Listen, man. Listen to me. If you hear the thunder, if you hear the lightning, if you feel like you're in the absolute blackest of dark right now, and the walls are shaking, and the nightmares are coming, and you know it, and you have no idea where you're going to run to. Which door is, which door am I going to find somebody who cares? Where am I going to find peace? If that's you today, listen, I've been there. I promise you I have been there. If that's you today, let me tell you something. In the house of God, there is a Father whose arms are always open to you. Regardless of what you've done, they're always open to you, all right? A Savior who comes to you rather than wait for you to be good enough to run down the hall. You only have to cry out and He comes to you. He comes to you. Unlike any other belief system out there, Christianity teaches that we are hopelessly lost. You will never be good enough. But the good news we call the gospel, the good news is that Jesus has made a way. He came to us because we will never get to him. The God of all creation came to us just as he was with Adam and Eve among them in the garden. And then when they sinned, he still came again. That he has redeemed his creation. He came to save it. That means you. That means me. Listen to me. He is here. He is involved. He is among us. Trust him today. Let let go of the darkness. Let go of all of those things. Stop trying to find it yourself and just say, Jesus, I trust you, okay? I trust you. I believe you died. I believe you have beaten death. I believe it can't hold you. I believe the grave had no hold on you. I believe you're alive. I don't understand everything, but I trust you today. I trust your word. I trust what I hear. Save me. Hold me. Lead me. Guide me. Just say your own words, whatever you want to say, however you want to say it. You don't got to get on your knees or you can lay on your face, however you want to do it. And listen, let us know because we want to pray for you. We want to help you. We want to guide you. I don't care if you're in Tempe or in Russia. It doesn't matter to me. But if you're close by, we would love to meet you, give you a hug, give you a squeeze, and more importantly, walk through his word with you and help you understand. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for your word again. It's such an awesome, awesome, awesome gift. Thank you for salvation. Thank you, Lord, that you are among us even today, and especially even when we sin. I love you, Father. You are amazing. Please be with us today throughout the weekend and in the week ahead. We love you, and we ask these things for your glory in Christ's name. Amen.